Taco, everyone. Welcome to episode 28 of the Moana Nui podcast. My name is Moana, your host. I am the author of the Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea children's book series, editor of the Wild Card Chronicles comic book series, and lover and champion of the indie comics and independent creatives community. Today, as always, I'm joined by my beautiful host, Dana. Hello, everyone. I'm Dana with Danique Events. Uh, most of you know me as a cosplay event and staff con photographer for cons such as Momocon, Dragon Con, Anime Week in Atlanta, and much more. So we're very excited for you to join our episode 28 of our podcast. And let's get ready for you to meet our upcoming guests. All righty. Before we get started, we just have a couple brief announcements for our fans and followers. Um, of course, we have to give a shout out to our season two sponsor, Chat and Draw podcast, and Mike Watson, who's the creator. He's an amazing artist. You guys should definitely check out his show. He has lots of great things. He just finished a Kickstarter campaign, but you can check him out at Freestyle Comics and on um, the Short Fuse Media Group website. Also, there is an amazing documentary for cosplay um, debuting today by our good friend, Bar Fox, who produced it and is doing the worldwide premiere tonight. So go ahead and check that out on channel 109 on Freely TV. But now let's get to our amazing guest. I'm so excited to have her on because I'm a big fan of her work. I love fantasy art. And so Mog is just super talented. Like the level of detail that she puts into her work is just amazing. But Mog is a world traveler who has lived in Australia, Egypt, Africa, Russia when the USSR broke down, and Japan when the Kobe, Earth, the Kobe earthquake hit, which is like, those are some of my favorite places. Some I haven't been to yet, but it's on my list. Um, she has moved around the United States too, living in California, Wisconsin, Illinois, and then calling my home, Hawaii, home as well. She currently resides in the LA area. During her traveling, she's learned to speak and write in three different languages, which is amazing, yeah. Korean, Japanese, and English. Mog is a traditional artist from Academy of Art University in San Francisco. After graduating, she began, she began working for Tokyo Pop, where she gained knowledgeable experiences that led her to become a concept design and illustrator on HBO's Game of Thrones, which is amazing. Uh, she enjoys going on the con run, meeting new people, sharing art, food, and life experiences, and hopes that our shows will return very, very soon. Coming off fresh from working in the gaming industry, she now focuses on providing covers and other art to indie publishers. You can find her mainly on Facebook, Instagram, and ArtStation, as well as DeviantArt um, at Mog Park, and on ArtStation at Dubu Gomdori. My God, I butchered that. Dubu, <laughs> Dubu Gomdori. So without further ado, let us bring the amazing Mog onto the show. What's up, ladies? Hello. <laughs> Clapping sound effects. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's uh, it's kind of warm, like for uh, today. It's been kind of cold, but today's a bit warm, so I'm happy. 
<laughs> yes. I think you sent all the cold over here because we had yes. snow in our area. <laughs> what? There's snow? <laughs> yeah, earlier today. It wasn't bad, but um, it was enough to get a little bit of a dusting and a coating here. But yeah, so we're, we're so excited to have you on. Let's get started by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did your love for illustration begin? Okay. Um, I grew up, I, I was born in South Korea. I still am Korean, by the way. Like, uh, But I, I reside here in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for the for drawing wise, like I was, you know, typical Asians, they they want you the best. The parents want you the, to be very like successful in, in any way, so they don't have to worry about you, right? So I was raised to be very academic. So I would um, particularly in the fields towards like medical or law and or either or they were they were happy if I go into law or medical field and then um, always for some reason I was always drawn to art instead and <laughs> so I kind of rebelled a bit there and um, I finally got myself into an art college and at the time uh, growing up especially if you're growing up in the east area like I mean I'm talking about east as in like Asia like Japan and Korea uh, the biggest thing is manga and anime so i wanted to be i wanted to work for an animation studio and um by circumstances like because of my father's job and traveling i ended up being in san francisco and in san francisco there was an art college that was offering um animation uh like a 3d animation at the time and they don't probably they don't have it now but they were offering 2d animation (laughs) there's no such thing you know (laughs) what's 2d animation so I um I started 3D animation, and then for some reason um, I realized that you like you just I realized that you're just like standing you're always sitting in front of a computer, and you're not really um, producing you're producing work, but it's gonna be end up not really it's not as creative as I thought it would be. So I changed to 2D because I like tactile. I'm very like kinesthetic in a way. So let me draw it. I want to see my actual drawing. You know into you know, a piece of paper and then see how I progress from there. And then from 2D animation, I realized, man, you gotta know so much about art. Like if you wanna become a like an artist in itself, like if you wanna develop skill, you have to know a lot of other stuff that I didn't know, like basic drawing, figure drawing, anatomy, perspective, all of that. And that was all taught as illustration. It was, they, were, they, they called it traditional illustration because at that department, at that time, fine art was if you do if you go into fine art, it's you it's like breaking into two different branches. One is fine art and one is traditional. You're both painting, but traditional is like the masters how they used to paint, you know, realistically and all of that. And you can do it's applicable in a lot of ways where you can do cover arts and whatever, like magazines and everything. But fine art is you're doing the same thing, you're painting, but it's like abstract. It's just like you know, just abstract things that I'm not very comfortable or I, I like personally don't have a taste for. So I ended up choosing traditional illustration because I kind of wanted to be a well-rounded artist. Like I want to know how to paint. I want to know how to, you know, do certain things like, like drawing, illustrate for a book because I always thought one day I would like definitely want to publish a book. So they taught how to publish a book through illustration. So I learned all of that. What was interesting was uh, while I was learning, I was never really a good student. Like I'm not like that stars pupil A student. I just wanted to be like under the radar. <laughs> just leave me alone. 
<laughs> like I would sit at the back, you know, like <laughs> just, just B, B is great. C, yeah, you know, just leave me alone. I don't want to. It, it was such a homebody, man. Like and I still am, but um, I was kind of like that. But I, I was just like only one track minded where I want to create my, like comics. That's all I wanted to do, which is, uh, and I, I saw that at that time, uh, there was a com the comics were published in like one particular style, which is very like that American standard style. So I thought it would be cool if I can in get into the industry and do it in my style where, where I can le learn from my cultural like aesthetics that I learned as I grew up, you know, like the manga or the anime or manhwa style that I grew up with. So I thought it would be nice if I create a hybrid and then go into the comic industry that way. That was always my goal. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, as you learn the way, you realize how many things you don't, you don't know. And um, that's another thing. You you can never know your capability capabilities until you actually try it out. Like mm -hmm. things that you've never ever thought that you want to do at all. Yeah. And one of the things that everybody sucks at is what? Especially, I'm talking about artists in general, is drawing perspective. Hands. Yeah. yeah. Right? And hands too, but perspective, <laughs> perspective, backgrounds. Nobody is interested. They all want to do like character designs or blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I, by sure luck, I happen to, um, all right, sorry about that. I'm giving too much information. What was the question? <laughs> no, it's so, okay. It's good. I mean, I'm yes, learning stuff yes. too. Yeah, I keep going. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah help us understand yourself and about your love of illustration, which was part of the question. So yeah. you're right on. You're still on task with your question. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I tend to um, info dump a lot. So okay. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so I I met my friend um, Elsa Garagarsa, and she was from an architect background. And she was very incredibly good at doing uh, perspective and architectures and whatnot because she had that background. And I saw that she was enlisting in for a background design uh, class, which is for animation. And I thought, you know what, let me try what you're doing because I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it and I wanna at least know the basics. So I learned through with her, uh, we took several classes and we drew lots of like backgrounds for animation. And that really helped my perspective and whatnot. And um, what I never predicted from that moment on was it was that it was that particular skill that everybody always struggled and didn't want to do that would actually get me into the industry of um, like HBO. Um, so, but be before HBO, which I never ever wanted to, I never even like proceed was like putting my goal or you know I ever like dreamed of like working for a TV industry, um, I was just gunning for only for comics. Mm -hmm. So I um, I was showing my portfolio around at the time, like San Diego Comic-Con, when it was like not as crowded <laughs> as now. And at the time, uh, Tokyo Pop publishing companies uh, it was very prevalent at the time, which if you guys don't know Tokyo Pop, they were like the first uh, publishing company that wanted to, you know, br bringing manga into America, and they were very successful in introducing manga, and also they were very ambitious enough where they're saying, you know, we have a huge comic industry in America, why don't we do a manga industry in America? And they want to feature specifically American artists, and they were looking for artists at the time. 
So I cooked up a portfolio and, a, you know, just like a story. And then I showed it to the editors because they were doing portfolio reviews. So the first time I showed it to them, they were like, uh, you know, your potential, you're not quite ready there, you know, like, you know, come back after you're more ready. So I, and then after that, they actually had this thing called like a contest where, you know, people can, you know, submit their artwork. And if you make it to the top 10, then they'll publish your work. So I tried that after that. And um, I made it to the, I made it to the semi-finalist, but I didn't make the finalist, but I still saved all that work. And then on the third year, I reworked all my portfolio. I compiled everything that I, I showed to them before and, you know, refreshed it. And then I, I um, showed it to the, again, the editors at the time. And they, they actually, in that, in, by the third time, they accepted my work and they gave me a contract. It's like, hey, I really like your work. You can do the story, anything you want, you have creative freedom, uh, do, do the work. And <laughs> that's when I realized, um, I, that's when I really, I learned the hard way about deadlines, uh, you know, talking with editors, all that stuff. And I failed miserably in every way to the point where um, they, like, I wasn't very, I wasn't very, I, okay, Mel. <laughs> so I wasn't very, I was so naive. Like I wasn't prepared for that kind of industry and working commercially. Cause you know, you think you're ready. And then when you're actually into that structured like commercial kind of company and you work with them, you, re you realize all oh, like, you know, all the flaws, flaws that, that you have. And one of the thing was I, I couldn't meet the deadlines. So, and then I got, and then it kind of fell through. But what I learned was when you ever get an opportunity like that, it doesn't come often, right? So the next time I promised myself that if any kind of opportunity comes, no matter what, do the work in time. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Do the work in time and do the best you can do and communication and all of that, you know, that all came in later on. So in the meantime, um, just like any other people out there who wants to become an artist as a dream, I was working in, I was working with lots of, um, I was just doing like all kinds of jobs, which actually helped me now. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, like, and then on the side I was drawing. And then at the time I met my partner and Mel, he was managing my, you know, probably like my art career. And he was saying, you know, you, you love stories, you love fantasy, you love reading all the time. So why don't you translate that into art? So I started to um, illustrate, at the, I was a huge fan of uh, Game of Thrones before even the show started. So I was a huge fan and I would read it like multiple times. Like any, on the spare time, I would just read it over and over again. And um, I had particular uh, aesthetics of how the characters, I wanted them to look like. So I would draw them out and then Mel started uh, like posting them out on DeviantArt. And that's another thing is I, I was very bad at uh, showing artwork, which everyone should if you want to be an artist, but I'm very bad at that. So um, Mel helped. Mel was the one who actually did all the marketing. He built the, he built the DeviantArt at the time, the whole website. He posted the art, artwork. And um, before I knew it, I went after a couple of years, I got contacted by um, HBO and they were saying, we like your work, uh, we like your style, do you want to work for us? So 
And then from then on, the rest is history. <laughs> so, I'm done. I'm sorry for the long <laughs> ramble. No, it's so far right now. It's all you're, good. You're good. So like you said that Arya was your favorite character. What um, drew you to her specifically? Um, I love Arya because she um, she was not about the typical girl thing, like being pretty, being in romance, all of that, because I was never like that either. I, I was a tomboy, so I was never interested in pink. I was never interested in dresses, makeup. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't. I had never even wore makeup until uh, way late, you know, after I was married. So, <laughs> like, that's how much I didn't care about how I looked, you know? So what I really love about Arya is that she's so savage in her determination in getting what she wants. She just kind of like defies convention, you know, especially in the in her period of time. So that appealed to me so much. Like, I don't know, it's just, um, she was kind of like speaking my own language. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas this character was completely not my style. Like just, I just could not understand her. She, in fact, I even posted, a po I did a posting that, um, she telling people that this is my least favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> At her either. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? Okay. Yeah, awesome. I mean, for very much the same reasons as you, like, I kind of tomboy as well. So, Arya was like, she was just doing her thing, you know, yeah. like she, she was defending her family. She was standing up, like, even if she was going to be standing out there by herself, I am no one. Yeah. I'm here, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so these are just, um, forgive me, they're really old and they're not that great, but they're, these are just the old drawings, like, way back in 2000s, early 2000s that I posted, I mean, well, technically Mel posted up. And and um, this these pieces actually got noticed. So what I was first offered to do was a test audition piece, which was this piece right here. It was a scene where the uh, Targaryens, the first conquerors came. So this is Aegon the Conqueror and two of his sisters, which is his, wi his wives. And then this is the Tyrell scenes where they're very famous for their rose gardens. Um, so, I think they call it High Garden, but these are like they're famous for their roses and whatnot. So I had to make the place look very uh, beautiful, and um, these are all the retinues and the character, you know, kneeling fealty to the king. So that was the first test page that um, they asked me to do because they don't just hire you; they you have to go through like some auditions. And after they like the piece, then you know, go through several producers, several uh, production companies, and they all have to come into agreement that they like the piece. So let's hire her. So that's what the process was. So this is my first piece, that like first entry piece that got me actually working steadily for steadily for the uh, Game of Thrones. I can see why. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So yeah. So these are some of the stuff, and um, I just what so like I said, all these uh, background elements was actually what ended up perpetuating for them to keep coming back to me and say, hey. We really like your uh, your work. Could you please continue working with us? And they always uh, refresh. They they came back and renewed the contract, so to speak, every year. And um, like I would have never expected that these kind of uh, architectural skill is what would get me through the door. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that it was such a, a high sought position. And that was uh, something that I didn't know that either. And also, 
if you're able to draw backgrounds, they pay you way more than just being able to draw characters as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that was just all accidental where I never planned to draw any of these, uh, be in a position where I'll be drawing these things for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because every single piece, it's like it pulls you in. Like, oh, let me see yes. what's going on in this scene. Like, where are we and who's in there? You know, even this one too. Like the details of the birds—they're all coming, you know, from different directions. Yes. Um, and yeah. just the perspective. Like, yeah, I, I mean, wow. I don't know all the you know the terms for art, but I just know it's badass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, at King's Landing, like, man. Mm-hmm. And especially like that you were pulling this, I mean, you know, because I'm, I'm assuming like some of this art you were already doing even before the show started, right? Like this is just from your own imagination, from reading the book and like what you're seeing as you're reading. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's skill. Like, like uh, for example, uh, shots like this, mm-hmm. it didn't even exist in the show. So I was hardly I hardly have any uh, references. Yeah, mm. they would say, "Could you give me a courtyard?" And there's no people, and you know, just have to figure out how you have to. I had to imagine what it was like to walk into that place, and if I was physically standing there and seeing what it was like from this perspective, looking up. Mm. And then the hardest one was this one, because there is no such reference at all in any uh, HBO shows where you're looking from down. Like this is a scene where I had to draw where dragons are flying and they're flying in and coming down and swooping into King's Landing. And um, this was the hardest part. This is one of the hardest part that I had to do because you know that's when imagination is very important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just and then and the and also that imagination is great, but also it has to make sense. Mm-hmm. It has to be accurate, you know, because you're depicting uh, an established. Um, sh- established shot like as in I'm talking about as in this is a p this is an architecture design that they already established by previous design so I have to look like the design I can't just make it up so I have to physically in my head try to visualize how it would look like from if I was flying from the sky like stuff like that you know it's just kind of challenging but you just have to that's I think also part of the fun part you know yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like this one here, kind of like it reminds me a little bit, or just some similarities to um, shoot, Lord of the Rings. What was the name? Was it Gondor? Just like the, the uh, castle. Uh, you know, like yeah. they kind of had like a pointed ship-looking thing, which is like I'm not saying um, uh, th- that it's the same thing, but like it has the same feel. I guess because of the genre too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. while you can't copy, you can like you can still get like the feel, but I'm I'm so like I'm just amazed because like for somebody <laughs> to like visualize something from like what they're reading, like to be able to take what's in your mind and actually put it on paper and convey it to other people, to me mm-hmm. it's just I salute you. Like yes, look at this boat design, like mm-hmm. and especially that it was something that wasn't even established or you could visually see that you had to make that canon for the show yes. right yes you established that canon based on your own imagination your visualization based yes. on you reading the books which i find is key because mm-hmm. so often we see creators and 
things that don't read the actual source. And that's where a lot of people who really love the, the books and things like that and comics get upset because it they vary so far from the original material that it doesn't even relay. And because you were already connected to the material when you were before HBO called you, you had a deeper insight to give us that more of that perspective and that feel and just make and draw us in because of that. So that's what I definitely can see with this. Thank you. <laughs> but um, I don't know, it's, it's a strange thing, you know, Dana. Um, people always say, you gotta do what you like, right? Mm -hmm. I really, I realize that that's like a half truth. You have to do what you like, but also you got to do a lot of the things you don't like to do. It's it's not just one thing. I realize mm -hmm. by doing this, it's all. And, yeah. and the thing is, I learned to uh, like the things I didn't like before. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yes, it completely makes sense. Because typically when we look at a, a field, um, from how I always see it is we get that rose-colored view of a um, a field or we see the good side of it but then once we get into it we realize all the extra work you got to do the you know the producers the all this other stuff and it's like whoa 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 you i no one told me about all this i'm supposed to be doing something i love i don't want to deal with those people i want to just stay in my lane avoid you but then you realize you have to deal with those people deal with those things in order to have that career so yes it, I, I call it a 40 60 40 percent of what you like 60 percent you don't like <laughs> yes that is so true because it's i mean yeah like you said, it's it's so much more than what people see on the surface. Mm -hmm. It's like I like to use the iceberg analogy. Yes. Like you only mm -hmm. see just a very tiny bit, but all under here, there's yes. so much going on. And you talked a little bit about you know how you failed at the beginning, mm -hmm. but I mean that's all part of the journey, right? We learn from those failures, and um, as long as we're not giving up, it's just another learning lesson to help us along the way, so that we yes. get you know closer to whatever our goal we might be setting. Um, we can appreciate like what it took, you know, for exactly. Us to get here. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and the best part of like you telling that story, even though you felt like you were saying too much, or as you said, data dropping, uh, <laughs> dumping, and everything, it's helpful because too often when people watch interviews and podcast, they only hear the good parts. And then a lot of people think, especially like in the indie comic realm or something, it's like, oh, I can do that. That is going to be so easy. I'm going to just create my own comic and I'm going to make so much money and I don't have to worry about Marvel and stuff. And then when they get in it, it's like, whoa, no one told me all this. It's like, no, fortunately, a lot of people don't tell you the the, the, they tell you the good, but they don't give you the bad and the ugly part of it. <laughs> and with you giving that and your journey helps people, especially if they want to get in that field to understand it's not going to be all um, beautiful roses and daisies and everything. You're going to go through those thorns and everything else, those droughts and everything on your way there until you finally get to that place that, you know, you want to be at. 
that's that's so true <laughs> um I, I think um like i think one of the example of that also is um i don't know if it's happening to you guys but with me in particular with my life everything that i didn't want to do or you know like i find it very difficult was the one that actually spurred me to success Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I, I find it really strange and actually funny because uh, remember the last thing you saw, which was the ships, the yes. boats. When I, I never drew a boat before. I never, I, and I said, I don't like ships. I don't like Navy stuff. I, I will never draw them. That's what I thought. You know, I just only want to draw what I want to draw, like a subject matter. But the first thing they ha had me draw was like a, a ship. It has to be a warship. And specifically, it has to be a Westeros style warship back in the days. And, and after a lot of struggle, I did the best I could and I sent it to them. And after that, I said, that's it. I'm, I'm probably sure they're not going to send me again. Mm. And what happened was after that season, um, they started to give me more boats, more ships, more <laughs> everything, like harbor. <laughs> Reconstruct them, like start from the scratch, like visualize for me how it's going to look like from that, you know, and it has to be a merchant ship. It can't be a galleon, you know, like very specific stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, and just, just give me more and more. And I thought this is crazy because <laughs> I saw, I, I, I thought that I, <clears throat> I don't, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. and I was always very like, Oh God, like, please, I keep praying. Don't give me any boat. And then they give me more boats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, around the third season, like third year, I was working for them. They just gave more. I just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> and then and they got to a point where I'm like, bring it, give me everything. Yes. <laughs> anything legal, I got it. It's in my head now. Yeah. It's so insane. And what was what was really funny was the real confirmation that I'm doing great was. One day, um, I'm working on my own script because everybody is given a slot, like a script, couple scripts to work on. Mm -hmm. And I get a, a email, like a late email from my producer, and he said, "Yo, this is some other guy's script. He can't draw a boat. Draw for him, please. We'll pay you." <laughs> <laughs> so I was drawing boats for other people's script. So that's when I realized, wow. I guess I'm known as the ship lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just don't know. You really don't know mm -hmm. your own strengths or what you're going to be good at. It's just, yeah, it's so fascinating how it turns out like that. It, it, it kind of hits all perspectives. Kind of like what um, I remember as a kid, like um, my parents always say, you know, you got to try something. I don't want to try. It looks like it's going to be nasty or I don't want to try it. And she's like, have you had it before? No. How you know it's nasty? You don't. So try it. See, if, you know, go from there and then, you know, go from there after that. And then especially if you don't like it this time, try it again later, which something I may not have liked, you know, a few years ago. All of a sudden it's like, oh, this was done differently. So I like it. So it's kind of like that same perspective that something you're like, yeah, I would never want to do. It. And then all of a sudden you start doing it, it's like, wow, I'm really good. <laughs> So that yeah. was you with the boats. You was just like, you didn't want it. And all of a sudden, everybody else is like, no, you're really good. We're going to have you do boats. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but that, that is 
wonderful. And then you use so much of your perspective and especially one of the things that Moana brought up um, when she was giving your introduction that you traveled and lived in quite a few places, both within the United States and overseas. What was your favorite place and why? Okay. Um, I think my favorite place was Australia um, because um, this was back in the 80s and I was living kind of like just above Sydney. So it was very, it was not very commercialized at the time. And it was just more laid back, chill and very happy. Um, and then, but then when I revisited visited Australia again two years ago, I'm like, this is, this is, it's not the same. Like, so I think that was, I just like the laid, uh, chill back, laid back style. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I always yearned for that. I never found it until I came to Hawaii. And Hawaii was totally like everything I wanted or more like dreamed of or could be possible was there. Yes. First of all, it was a melting pot. There was no racial discrimination. I felt so happy. Like I feel like you just don't know it until you get off the plane and you walk and you suddenly feel like you can breathe again for some reason. I don't know how to describe it. It's like yes. there's something oppressing you here. And then now it's light. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just, and then mm-hmm. everybody's uh, attitude is like, let's be nice. Come on. Yes. yes. <laughs> What's wrong being nice? You know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that, that too. That's why I liked Australia back then. But then when it went back there again, I'm like, What's going on? You know, it's, it's like a complete different animal now. Um, it's mm-hmm. so industrialized. It's so commercialized. It's, it's just not the same. But when I went to Hawaii, it was like, ah. Oh, it's okay to be nice and show people like a smile. <laughs> They're not going to rip you off or see you as a weakness, you know, something like that. Yes. So I would say my initial one, childhood is Australia, but hands down, just Hawaii mm. all the way. Beautiful, beautiful. Whoop, whoop. Yep. I'm biased, but hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me and Moana are a little biased because we're both from there. <laughs> yeah but yeah it is so true like it's just a whole different uh culture and just the easier an easier lifestyle but just very similar to what you said about australia though like even when i go back home now it is still great but it is not the same as it used to be like exactly commercialize it fortunately like my island knock on wood is is still not close to like oahu or you know Mm -hmm. maui's becoming more so now too yeah um, yeah, you know, but things change, you know, like it's evolution and we just have to adapt to it and hopefully, exactly. you know, we can reclaim some of our, our sovereignty and things. But um, so with, with all of your different world travels and world experiences, how did that influence, um, you know, your art and, you know, all the work that you do? Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah. What influenced me was just every time I've been, I I wasn't really like, I went to places where it was challenging Mm. or I didn't know it would be challenging, but it became challenging. For example, when I was living in Japan, uh, we got hit by one of the biggest earthquakes at the time was a what, 8.2, 8.5. It's incredible. It's it's just massive destruction. I was in the the smack dab middle of it. And I saw how people, cope with the crisis mm-hmm. and 
I realized the way they cook in Japan is like, it's like butter on toast. No one's like making a huge uh, hullabaloo. Um, they're just like, okay, this happened. Let's start, come on, like put the emotion away. Let's just get it so we can get it where we can start working again. Yeah. The, their surviving coping mechanism was really cool. And um, I learned aspects of that um, and it just influenced me, you know, like just living through uh, weird major crises always just shaped me, like to be not so afraid. I think it just all came down to being not so uh, afraid about like the small things, if that makes sense. Like uh, another one, uh, Moscow, I was in there where they had the coup d'etat and I, it was right, I lived right next to the White House at the time and they were attacking both buildings. So literally there were bullets like coming through my window and there's all these bullet holes on, and there's no safe place. So all I had to do was lie down uh, on the floor and wait for the bullet thing to pass and hopefully it don't hit you, mm. you know? Well, what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah. so, so stuff like that. And um, also when I was in Korea, uh, hardest time in my life was, uh, out of state by far, that was the hardest time, was high school in Korea because we were hit with something called an IMF, where the whole country goes bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So your currency has no value in any. And the only thing that the entire uh, world will accept payment to pay your debt off is actual gold. You have to have gold pieces. If you don't have gold pieces, you are worthless. Mm -hmm. So everywhere left and right, you're seeing people doing drastic things you know, like suicide, um, just crime, all kinds. And of course we were affected to it. We were affected by it. Poverty, that's common. It was common, you know, mm. all of that. And through going through all of that, it made me very, um, I think what really made me number one is be open-minded. Just don't judge uh, people, especially don't judge people by their careers mm. or their looks. So when you, you know, when then people ask you questions, like when you first meet by straight, like your stranger, you say, hey, how are you doing? What's your name? You know, I'm Mog. What do you do for a living? You know, stuff like that. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I just want to know, are you a good person or not? Just yeah. Talking. So I, I learned to like, just move away from surface level and get into it. Yeah. And I think that really helped me socialize with people and and i realized in art that is very important that's another thing that nobody talks about is you have to be good at what you do of course you know a skill and don't ever stop learning don't ever stop becoming better but if you want to become a decent artist you have to know how to have social skills mm. <laughs> yes you really do because you can't do things alone you have to work as a team and um, dealing with all kinds of international people, international crisis and all of that, it, I felt like yeah, it just made me just, I don't know, be more open-minded to people and just try to be more nice and social. I think, I don't know, I know this doesn't really relate to the art, but it does help as an artist's career, so yeah. It, has, yeah. it definitely does because, um all that plays part not only in art but how you interact in the art world anyway so those lessons help you be able to cope in that particular world whether you're uh, an animator or um, a writer or whatever you have to have those 
that adaptability from um, learning those lessons to survive in the in the entertainment world. <laughs> I like that, Dana. You really succinctly put it. It's adaptability. I should have just said it. Adaptability. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not everybody wants to adapt. And especially 2020, we learned a lot of people had to adapt because of what happened in 2020 with the pandemic. And some, so many people are resistant to change. But if we didn't change, we'll still be who we were at five years old. <laughs> so we had to change in different forms of fashion. So uh, our degree of adaptability is part of our survival. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of our listeners, Robin, says that like there are way more professions that rely on social skills that people think. And I think that's especially true now with like, you know, communications mechanisms that rely heavily on technology and specifically because we can't have as many in-person react um, interactions now. You can see on social media, like who doesn't have good social skills because they like they're the ones in those toxic like conversations, you know, like. Yes. People can say words and, you know, like I try not to jump on it too much because you don't know the context or, um, you know, where that person would necessarily be coming from. But some people are like quick to just jump on them and just like go into attack or defense mode. And I'm like, is this something that you would say to somebody in person, though? Yes. Like, perhaps maybe you would instead like tell me more. Like, I don't really understand where you're coming from. Can you tell me a little bit more to help me understand before I go like, ah! You know, it's just, it's crazy to me. Um, yeah. It's a little bit sad too, but I mean, I hope people, you know, will will understand. Um, I mean, that's really like what we're trying to do with this particular podcast as well is like, let's just get to know each other, you know, before right. we pass our judgments because we're all people, like we all go through different struggles. And like, I learned so much about Mog and, you know, like the places where you've been and, and those situations and environments that you've lived through, like that's- yes true survivor, warrior, hero, like yeah. all those boss, <laughs> boss bitch, you know, like all those, those great terms, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God, not to say, I'm not saying you're a bitch, Molly, I'm sorry. Let me not, you know, me, <laughs> but like boss moves, right? Like savage, like what you yes. were talking about, Aria. So like, I can see why you love her now um, <laughs> because it's very similar. Like she lost her whole family, well, not her whole family, but a lot of her family. And she's like, it sucks, but you know what? I'm gonna get y'all. Like yeah. y'all gonna get it, and I'm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm still here. So, I I love stories of resiliency and like overcoming adversity. Yes, and you know, and it can it can be in so many different situations. Like I really respect people for that. Um, and it just makes me happy to see you be successful because you so deserve it. You know, like yeah. that that that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you know uh, what helps. Uh, going through trauma is if you have short-term memory. <laughs> sure. Just keep and you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's Go right. to sleep and the next morning, uh, you're good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? If you guys saw the movie Gone with the Wind? Yeah. With yeah. Vivian, she always says, oh, tomorrow. I'll worry about tomorrow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That was, like, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. Uh, people are probably like, what, Moana, what, what? Yeah, no, I, I, that was one of my favorite. Red Garen, oh, Ashley. I'm like, oh my God, will you get over Ashley? <laughs> uh, I, I'm actually, uh, that's funny that I actually remember those names. See, see y'all, I'm telling on myself. <laughs> hey, that just shows the beauty of, of creatives that 
lines, the art, the costumes, the, you know, the background, those things, no matter how young or old you are, it sticks in your mind. And you, 20 years later, you can still recite <laughs> stuff from something you saw when you were like 10 years old or something, because it just stuck with you because of the beauty of it. So yes, that's why creatives and teachers and need to get paid more. Awesome. <laughs> I can get behind that. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially our artists. Oh, yeah. goodness. <laughs> now, sure. you ca you went into some of the stuff that you learned and everything, but uh, about your experiences of living in those different places. But what are the top three lessons that you also learned from living a life amongst such a diverse culture in all the places you lived? Top three things I learned mm -hmm. from each culture, like from... It, it, Either one, your top three out of all the places you lived in, you know, what what were the lessons you learned? Uh, the biggest lesson is it's not the place, it's the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I used to live in the most beautiful place, okay? In some of, some of the most beautiful places. But I was dealt with a lot of, uh, because I was a minority, mm -hmm. uh, I was dealt with like really bad racist, racism. And that really made me think you can be living in paradise, yeah. but if everybody hates you, it's hell for you. Mm -hmm. And it's really always the people, not the place. So please, yes. so one thing is uh, be, be good to everyone around you mm -hmm. and surround yourself with good people. Yes. Cause that's, that is what home is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think second, I don't know. What was the second one? Adaptability, I guess. Just be open-minded. Mm -hmm. um, just, I don't know. I think the third one I would just say, I don't know if this counts as adaptability, but opp opportunistic. Okay. Like, if you see an opportunity, just just do it. Just mm -hmm. be, I just said it, that is adaptability, right? You're being able to see it and just just go for it. Yeah. Um, it, oh, ah, okay. I'll take that back. So that's part of adaptability. The third is, do the very thing that you're afraid to do. Mm. <laughs> Step outside your box. Yes. Yeah. Like um, learning, uh, shifting through all kinds of places, like being in very, uh, like struggling with sometimes poverty. It, it's up and down. Life is like that anyway, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you're open-minded, like I took a job where I, I was doing sales. And you know, when anybody says sales, it's like synonymous with something really bad, like charlatans or something really bad, you know, like nobody wants to do sales. It's like telling people to go and, sp and speak in front of like a speech class, take a speech class. So I swore again to everybody that I will never take do sales, but circumstances happened where there was the only job available mm. and I took it. And I realized this is what everybody should take <laughs> at least one year or two years because it's so good in a way that it makes you it makes me really uh it, it shaped me into become uh more presentable to people okay. to know how to speak the right way or just just to say just to communicate and create a re report uh that was what sales really helped you know me like just round as it rounded up right i mean gave, gave me that skill and I would have never, never had 
known that again if I just did, if I didn't just do it, even though if I was afraid, even though I was afraid or afraid of it, I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. But number one lesson, definitely people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely 100% agree with that, that pe people make everything, whether it's a, yes. a physical, like a place that you live in or a place that you work, you know, yes. like the environment is all about the quality of the people that you're amongst. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, you know, in the current media and over the last like year, I mean, it's been before, we, we all know this, it's, it's, it's systemic and it's historic, but um you know, there's been more visibility of some Asian targeted crimes since COVID has began, you know, due to the coronavirus and its supposed origins in China. Um, and we're seeing a lot of them on the West Coast, which is where you live now. Uh, what are some things that people could do to be allies to the Asian American struggle? Um, how do you think people can take action to be the change that everybody is seeking? Um, I think... Um, this is kind of similar to when 9-11 happened, where the Middle Eastern people became a target. It's like that, you know, but now it's Asian, so, unfortunately. And um, I would say, please just to, please don't make judgment calls and please be open-minded just because how we look different or whatever, you know, that's, that's the only thing I can um, ask people to do. Just please be open-minded. Please don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is getting political, but I don't want to. Um, I think that's the general message I would give. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. Yep. Mm -hmm. Everybody should definitely be open-minded because, I mean, really, like nobody likes to be judged and treated in a bad way. So, I mean, the one I always go back to is treat people how you would like to be treated or don't treat people how you don't want to be treated. You know, yes. the opposite is so true, too. Now, going back into some more positive stuff about your experience on uh, HBO's Game of Thrones, and you talked about at the beginning about how that you were able to get that opportunity and was able to work for several seasons on the show, but what role did you plan in the show's production? Uh, what role did I, did I was, was part of? Uh-huh, that you got to plan um, in the show's production. Ah, okay. So the my main role that they hired me first was post-production, which is after the production, um, they want to create more animations and filler stories, which is history and lore. Mm -hmm. So that was my main role. But as I was working through the seasons, uh, sometimes they would ask me um, these to do certain designs. Like uh, one was the key one was Dragonstone or the Dragon Pit before the show before any the show even developed it. So they asked me to draw it out. Um, and then they gave me like free creative reign to you know visualize it. And um, certain things like that, or sometimes um, where the Berithians, um, uh, the, there was one of the character called Robert Berithian, which is uh, the king, in case people who don't know Game of Thrones, um, they've never ever shown their house, their, uh, what they look like in the house or exterior. And they asked me to design certain things like that. So that's the one thing that I didn't predict that would be happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up being part of that as well. Nice. And, you know, of course, like I would have to say most of the work that I turned in, maybe only 10% sometimes gets shown because 
it's all part of a mass production and sometimes they don't use your work but that's okay because I got paid for it <laughs> but, but yeah stuff like that really was fun I really really enjoyed um designing I, I never knew I would ever say I did enjoy designing buildings <laughs> yeah that was one thing I never predicted I thought I would do so Nice. That's very fascinating. Very fascinating. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of people know Tokyo Pop from its class, um, classic animes like Initial D and GTO, but they also have TV film, motion comics, and YouTube shows as part of their projects. Um, during your time there at Tokyo Pop, what projects did you work with and what was your favorite experience from that time? Okay, so I... Like I said before in the beginning intro, um, I got like an exclusive contract to do my own projects uh, as a creator. So they gave me a contract where I could, I had free reign to write my own story, draw my own story, and they would just publish it. And they asked me how many issues you want me to do, you know, all of that. So I think in that, like, I wasn't really part of the team of the production. I was more of a a creator that they would hire so they can like publish. Mm -hmm. And um, what I learned from that again was um, bittersweet because it was just my first gig and I really didn't know any better. Like the biggest thing was uh, deadlines because I had a full-time job back then. I was like a manager of a department store. So I was in charge of opening and closing these department stores. And, and then on top of that, I would come home and I would have to do these certain things. And I really, really just, I don't think I did the time management very well. I, I just didn't take it quite seriously enough. And that's one of the biggest lessons I learned to, uh, about keeping time. And so when I got after that, I thought um, the opportunities like this will never happen again. Mm -hmm. you know, it's very rare because I, I worked so hard to get to, to get that opportunity. Like I said, it took me three years just to get the editors to approve and, and write a contract with me. And it, um, I, I botched, it was my fault. So like lessons like that really, <laughs> it really just stays with you because of the failure. But, you know, when the second opportunity came and I work, got to work for the TV industry, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, never again, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> it was funny because I eventually met um, one of the directors there just by chance at a comic con. And he's like, hey, you're Mog. Yeah, you're known as one of the faster ones. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so I think that's about, yeah, that's about it. Communication as well. Always check your emails. Mm -hmm. Respond right away if you can. Don't respond like one week after. <laughs> you know what I mean, artists? Exactly. <laughs> All the simple things, right? Mm -hmm. The simple but not so simple, you know? True, true. Yeah. As we're getting close to the end of the, our time, tell us about uh, what legacy do you hope to leave with your work? That That's very deep, Dana. <laughs> I like that. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I just like to draw. That's why. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's the main reason. But the second thing, the legacy is an interesting thing because as I get more and more involved with working with different people, especially in the publishing company now, like publishing industry now, I realize it's really, again, not about yourself 
it's it's more it's bigger where it's it's just not about you it's also about other people around you mm-hmm. and uh, the legacy i would like to create is uh, for me art was like a form of escape and i always thought that was a very frivolous thing you know it's just kind of embarrassed like yeah i can't deal with life so i'm just gonna draw art but what was interesting was um, there is this documentary show that I really, really love. It's called Alone. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's literally what they do is they pay the prize is a half a million dollars. Now it's a million dollars. And all you do is stay in this. They drop you in this wilderness with only 10 tools. OK, and you have to live there as long as you can. So this is a this is a uh, thing where it's the utmost uh everything is about survival there's no you can't think about music or chit chat or love you know whatever it just you're just in this survival mode to survive but what was interesting that i never predicted was what it was the mental game like what really helped them move on to the next day and the next day to survive the winners you know what it was it was art they after a while like they got the food they got the shelter but what do you do? Like they were going, people were going crazy. They were going through depression. People were crying, all kinds. But what really helped the ones that actually stayed longer as much as possible was doing art. They looked forward to doing projects, making something beautiful. And that's when I realized that's what art is. Mm. It just helps. It really helps a person to live another day sometimes. You know, and and then for me, that form of escapism is not not something bad. It it was something that you would say enrich somebody or give somebody a purpose. Mm-hmm. So the legacy I would like to do is one day I would definitely like to write stories or not stories. I mean, like leave my artwork where it would just help people. You know, like it's more than this reality. You know, it's more than what we're going through, like struggles right now. I just want to show something beautiful. I want to leave something at least beautiful. Yeah. that it would yeah. help someone in that way. And that way people could look back and you're you're this generation's Picasso. Yes. <laughs> Get through another day. I mean, especially mm-hmm. now, right? Yes. <laughs> like, can we yeah, it's just so cool how art it really is. does help you mentally, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Yes. It's that important. So yep. It really is. What whatever, you know, whatever form of art you might be, you know, like I mean, this is helpful for me. Like this is my art, right? Like I can't draw yes. I can draw stick figures and I can draw very childish things. I I can I definitely cannot draw High Garden or King's Landing or any of that, <laughs> or any of those places. But you know, like my podcast is is my art. So I hope everybody can find their form of art, you know, whatever that might be. Um, to help them, you know, get through every, every single day um, yes. and kind of, you know, be, be more mindful about the mental health and, and self-care aspects, which is which is critical. And we, you know, in the society that we live in, I don't think we sometimes we don't. It becomes like a taboo topic a little bit. Yes. Like, oh, what do you mean? You can't handle it. You know, like, what's wrong with you? No, we're still human. Like, we're people. Yes. You know, like we're, we're not going to be strong every day. There's going to be some days when like, I just can't go, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, back to the people aspect, like it's about the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, Dana and I 
Like there's some days where I'm like, oh, Dana, I can't, I'm tired. She's like, okay, I'll go take a break. What we'll do the next time we'll get together is, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, and, um, you know, there's times where she's struggling and I'm just like, all right, sis, you know, we got this, like, yes, we'll figure it out. Like, we don't, I don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to put it in our notes and we're just going to work off this list, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, on behalf of like so many fans out there, all the fans of Game of Thrones and people who are a fan of your art, regardless of Game of Thrones, because even your non-Game of Thrones art is absolutely amazing. Thank you for giving us our own escape, place where we can go and enjoy the stories of others. And yeah, I mean, to 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 have, you know, to be to be able to say that like my art is what led to the creation of this visual yes. masterpiece. Like Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a powerful legacy. I think you already have yes. one, you know, um, mm-hmm. sharing your stories of, you know, your personal experiences um, is just, is a, a bonus, right? Yes. And of course we had Mel in the background with a double bonus. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't take credit. I take credit. <laughs> you know, I give credit to people all around me, man. It, they shape me. Oh, no. Yep, absolutely. It was teamwork, you know, like like we talked about in a couple of our two, like, you know, everybody has their different part to play. No, but no one person can create, you know, greatness, right? Like it's yes. whether it be support system, other fellow creators, your family, you know, being understanding of the demands upon your time, you know, all yes. those things. So yeah, we're grateful for you. Um, we wish you all the success in your future endeavors, whatever it might be, whoever's coming next for more boats. You know what? If they ever do, like, I want to see fantasy Hawaiian, like, show me chiefs, show me conflict, yes. island stories, and I want you to do the boats. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We will be calling you to do our first Hawaiian animation. <laughs> like, I don't know series. I mean, like all the different styles of Polynesian boats, but it's quite epic. Yes. I, I will I will send you some pictures and I would love to see some of your work on that. So yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I I do own um a Maori boat model. Oh awesome. Yeah, they're they're cool. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very similar to the the Hawaiian ones because they're all like tied in together, the Polynesian mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. See, now you gave me an idea. We're gonna do a, a panel of our boats. Yeah. The different boats of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta give me time to draw some first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, I'm gonna give you time. I'm gonna be like, okay, Mog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much, guys. Um Dan- Dana, you're such a sweetie. Cheers. Yep. Wanna, you're cool. <laughs> yeah, you. You're a boss lady. I love it. <laughs> and sorry if I was rambling again. I tend to do a lot of No, no. There was no rambling. You were giving us plenty of information and all those artists and creatives that are out there that look up to you or know about your work. Now they know all that history that led you to where you're at. So that way, if they're feeling down about their struggles or what they're going through, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. she made it through. I can make it through. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there was no rambling. You were just giving us all truths. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, please be sure to follow Mog online. She also does some amazing um, 
like live videos. You can see her work um, in action. She also offers um, opportunities for you to purchase some of her amazing art, lots of originals, um, beautiful work. Um, and she is an active uh, female within the indie comics community as well. So thank you, Mog, again. Thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in. We appreciate all of you. Please follow us on Facebook at Moana Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as follow us on Twitch. And with all that said, um, have a great evening and we hope you guys will continue to tune into the show. Take care, everybody. Malama Pono, Ahui Ho. Hey.